Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians and chapter 2 as we continue our study on this book, looking at the theme of Choose Joy. And my prayer for you and for us as a church is that that is what we are choosing daily as we gaze upon Jesus. You know, I've heard it said that familiarity is the greatest enemy of observation. If you're around something for a long period of time, you're unable to observe it as it truly is. I think about for eight months, how I was stationed right outside of the ziggurat in Ur, right in Iraq. It's a place that Abraham would have even probably walked underneath its shadow. And day in and day out, the first couple days, I admired how beautiful this looming uh, pyramid of a figure was. And then as days turned into weeks, I lost the awe, the wonder. And it's the same thing with us in our own lives. Familiarity with things around us often breeds within us an inability to observe things as they are which truly concerns me when we come to our church services and we say the name of Jesus and we talk about the person of Jesus and our mouths move, but it seems as if our hearts have just become familiar with the old story and it doesn't strike us again and again with awe and wonder. I think of the passage in Matthew chapter 13 and verses 44 through 46 when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And I think, what was it about this treasure? What was it about this pearl that made these men say, everything I have in life, everything else, all of it added up together, doesn't even scrape the surface with the treasure and the glory and the wonder of what I am to receive in this treasure or in this pearl. And as Christians, my challenge to us today is, as we gaze upon Jesus in this most beautiful portion of Scripture, what has often been sung in many, many years ago as a hymn among early Christians, is that we see Jesus as worthy of our everything is that we see Jesus as worthy of our living our lives for him and sacrificing our best that we have to offer for him, not living for ourselves, but living for him, that we would not lose the awe and the majesty of looking upon Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 5 today. Philippians 2 and verse 5. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you know today the words that need to be spoken to your people. So can I pray in this moment that by your Holy Spirit, you would anoint me for this time to preach your word and to keep back those things that, that I want to say that come from me. But Lord, that you would speak to your people by your Holy Spirit through your word today. Lord, that the lost would be saved and the saved would be drawn closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin this passage together, Paul has moved from his introductions and telling about his current state of affairs. He has now moved to the commanding part, the, the mandates. And last week, we looked at the first four verses of chapter 2, which is one sentence in the Greek language. As we looked at this together, we saw the motivation for our obedience. Do you remember that motivation? Paul says in verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection or sympathy, the motivation for our obedience is not fear, although we ought to rightfully revere God, but the the motivation for our obedience is looking at these first verses and seeing all of the wonderful things that God has done for us. Last week I said it over and over again. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Yeah, boy. You better believe that there is some encouragement in Christ. We are given incredible motivation for being obedient. But Paul next moves beyond the motivation and moves in verse 2 to the mandate. What is the mandate that we looked at last week? The mandate is very clear. Complete my joy. And then he says, this is how you do it. You remain unified. That the church ought to be unified in heart and mind and in spirit. That we ought to be a family that exists uh, uh, to, for Christ and that loves one another. So we looked at the motivation. We looked at the mandate. And then thirdly, last week, we looked at the method. How can we preserve the unity of the church? And we saw from Scripture that if we are to approach that place of unity, there is only one road that leads to that destination, and that is the road of humility. That we ought to be men and women, boys and girls of humility. And so this week, we continue our study in this second part of this sermon, which is called Unity, Humility, and the One Who is Worth It All. We've looked at the motivation, the mandate, and the method. Now, in these verses, in verses 5 through 11, I want us to see the model. Jesus showing us what it means to be humble. 
Jesus leading the way. Jesus leading by example. And today, my prayer is that as we look at this model that Jesus sets for us, that we might be more in awe of Jesus, that we might love him more and desire to serve him more. Look with me in verses 5 through 8. As we look at this model, I want you to see the example of Christ. The example of Christ. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I want you to see, first of all, what Jesus did not do. We see that here in uh, verse 5 and 6, that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what does that mean? Now, we know of Jesus that he has always been God. Amen? He wasn't, uh, he did not come into existence when he was born and laid in the manger in Bethlehem. Jesus has always existed, always. He is the great I am. He was, he is, and he always will be. Jesus is not just some form of God. Jesus is himself God. The Bible is clear on this matter. What we learned here in verse 6, that even though he was equal with God, although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What does this equality mean? John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5 gives us a little glimpse when John says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has always existed. He was in the beginning. You know, before any of this, uh, uh, we look at our world right now, and we'd say, you know, it's in a mess, right? We look at our world, and we say, where, where have we come? Where are we going to? What in the world is happening here in our world? And yet, before all of that, and knowing all things that would occur, he still, in his wisdom, created us in mankind. Jesus has always existed in Colossians chapter 1, in verses 15 through 19, the Bible says of Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, when we talk about Jesus being equal with God, we say that Jesus has always been God. To see Jesus... When Jesus is asked by his own disciples, show us the Father and it is enough for us, Jesus says, to see me is to see the Father. Think about that. The eternal God who can't fit in, into any of our boxes that we create, he's just as he has spoken of himself in his word and so often, many times, doesn't fit the mold that our cultures have set upon him. That God is fully representative 
in his son, Jesus. All of that goodness wrapped up in that human being that none of us ever even acknowledged while he was here. Hebrews 1.3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So I say all this to you to say, we're looking at Jesus as he is. He's setting an example for us. Jesus before all of time is equal with God. He is God. He's in perfect fellowship with the Trinity. They require nothing to add any more glory to the name of God. And yet, what does Jesus do? We see, first of all, what he did not do, he, even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. First thing that we see that Jesus has done here is he had no regard for his well-being or had regard for others. He's setting the precedent for us in humility. The idea here when the word count is used or regarded is that it was fully thought through. Jesus did not come to earth and, and live a perfect life and die on the cross as a whim, right? He didn't die just because, or he didn't come to this earth and it was just a plan that was just haphazardly put together, but it was fully thought through. So, by the way, whenever you're down and out and when you're discouraged and when you wonder why Jesus would ever save you, I want you to know this. He has fully thought it through. That plan is fully thought through. You may say, I'm not worthy of salvation, and you are right, but he loves you. He loves us anyway. It was fully thought out. He knows all of your quirks. He knows all of your sins. He knows how easily you abandon him. He knows how quickly you run to the things that you desire above what he desires. And yet he sent his son to die for you anyways. Fully thought out. Jesus fully had this thought out. And the Bible says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now there's two things that come to my mind when I read this. I think of reaching upward, right? We, we know from Scripture that Satan, before uh, Adam and Eve fell, Satan reached upward, right? He was an angel in heaven, and yet he wanted to grasp that glory. The glory that the Father has, I want it. It's mine, and yet he did not possess it. But he wanted it, and he was thrown down, cast down with a third of the angels. I think of Adam and Eve in that garden. And they looked up at that fruit, and they thought to themselves, this is going to make me wise. This is going to make me like God. And so they reached out to grasp it and to take hold of it. And yet here is Jesus, who is equal with God. And here's what he's doing. Jesus and his plan for salvation and the plan of the Father for salvation did not sit upon the throne with his knuckles white, holding on to the throne, not willing to come down and to die for you and for me. But the first thing that he did in this step downwards was he released his grip. He released his grip. A famous hymn writer read this passage of scripture and wrote a song that's primarily sung at Christmas. It's called Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. Let me read to you a few lyrics from this song. 
Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. Second verse. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal degree. But of lowly birth didst thou come to earth, and in great humility, oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. The final verse. Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word that should set thy people free. But with mocking scorn and with crown of thorn, they bore thee to Calvary. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. When we look at Jesus, as we look at scripture here, the Bible says that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So the first thing is what he didn't do. Right? But the next two verbs that are used in uh, these sentences tell us what Jesus did do. Verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. By emptying himself, what did he empty himself of or what did he not empty himself of? When Jesus came to earth, he was still God. Amen. Whoa, come on now. Wake up. When Jesus came to this earth, he was still God, amen? amen. He forgave sins. Uh, he healed the sick. He made the, the blind to see, the lame to walk. He made the deaf to hear. He made the mute to speak. I mean, when Jesus was here on earth, he did not give up his deity. He was still God. What did he empty himself out of? Well, I think these next words bring clarity to that. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, picture this. Jesus is in heaven. Uh, you know, we, we pray all the time, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything is going perfect in heaven. Nothing wrong going on in heaven. Jesus is there on his throne receiving the praise of the angels Nothing going wrong. Everything's great. And yet Jesus lets go of that grip. And he empties himself out, taking the form of a servant. From high king of kings to the lowest of low. Mark 10, verses 42 through 45, Jesus says to his disciples, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever should be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus emptying himself out. Never before in all of modern history or all of human history or all of creation has someone given so much and been given back so little. Jesus leaves heaven's on and he empties himself out. There was nothing more to give. He poured it all out throughout his life and ministry on the cross. He poured it all out for the sake of his people taking the form of a servant. Now, this strikes us because 
Paul is saying we should have this same mind in us. Josh, how can I be humble? Well, look at what Jesus did. He emptied himself. He was born in the likeness of man, the scripture says. You know, I wonder what that must have been like. The one who was holy, who had no sin, who had no wickedness or evil in him. He is sitting in the holy places in heaven. There's no sin near him. Sin cannot come near him. And yet Jesus comes onto this earth. He takes our flesh upon him. He becomes one with us. And that's all he's around all the time. His disciples, his mother, his father, his brothers, his sisters, everyone is around him. Jesus is born in the likeness of man. The Bible makes this clear, John 1, 14, that the word became flesh. By the way, Jesus didn't unite himself with flesh to throw it off after the resurrection, but Jesus has forever unified himself or brought himself to mankind by taking on our flesh. He is a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. God Jesus emptied himself. Thirdly, he humbled himself. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. How did Jesus humble himself? Jesus was obedient to everything the Father said. Now think about this. This is in contrast to us. I mean, I'm sitting here with a bunch of sinners, right? You woke up this morning, uh, we, I don't want to keep a tally. I hope you didn't keep a tally this morning already. We are sinners. And we, a lot of times, uh, we don't even acknowledge it till later when the Holy Spirit's really weighed on our heart. Hey, listen, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have thought that. You shouldn't have done that. We are, we are sinners. That is, that is our nature, and yet Jesus did every single thing the right way. Every single, at the right time, his inflection was always right. The words that he said was always right. Anyone in here ever stick their feet in their mouth? Just me? Ooh, I see some hands up. You know, God's got, I'm, I'm thankful for you honest people in here. Some of you don't stick your feet in your mouth, right? Some of you are quiet. You've learned the wisdom of being quiet. I stick my feet in my mouth all the time. And, you know, I found sometimes that when I say the right words, I say them the wrong way. I've learned that more and more as I move on in my life. Uh, uh, you know, that's, that's a part of it, right? Even when we have the right uh, motivation, we still... Find a way to mess it up. But the Bible says that everything Jesus did pleased the Father. Every single thing, all of the timing, all of it correct. And here's how we know it. He humbled himself to become obedient to the will of his Father, even to the point of death. Now, if, if I gave orders in here and... Uh, if I had any authority to give orders and hear, and some of you were to obey my orders, there would be a limit to your willingness to be obedient to my orders. And yet Jesus, 
in his obedience to the Father, there was no limit to the point of death. And then he follows it up here, Paul, by saying, even death on a cross. Is there a more humiliating way to die than Jesus died? The one who has always existed and always will, who inhabited the praises of heaven, Is there a more humiliating way to die than to be falsely accused? No accusation rightly can be laid upon you, and yet you're stripped naked, beaten in front of all your friends, beaten in front of the nation of Israel that you have come to save, crucified on a cross, and as people walk by, they're wagging their heads, they're shaking their fists, they're saying if he really was the Son of God, he would call upon his angels and bring them down and save him. He'd call upon Elijah. If he really was the son of God, he saved others. Why can't he save himself? He's crucified between two criminals. And mind you, at any moment, Jesus could have just breathed the right way and a legion of angels would have come down and destroyed everything and perhaps rightly so because who are we to deserve such a great and wonderful, humble God? And yet there's Jesus utterly humiliated by his own creation, by the ones that he loved. And he's saying words like this. As they're shaking their fist at him, as they're laughing at him in his anguish, he's saying words like, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Utterly humiliated. A sign above him to mock him. The king of the Jews. No one who wrote that or gave orders for that sign, believed that to be true. All of it, just one big joke. And he was the punchline. But my friends, I want you to know, he wasn't helpless. He was humble. All of the power to have changed every bit of it. And yet out of his obedience to the Father, until the last drop of blood was ordained to be dropped from his body onto that cross. Until the right moment. He did not even die until he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I mean, all perfectly at the right time and in the right way. Look at the one who has humbled himself. So we saw that he loosened his grip. He maintained his deity, but he loosened his grip and he emptied himself. He gave all that he had through his people by coming to this earth and living a perfect life and dying on the cross. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now look secondly with me as we see not just the, the, uh, the model or the example of Christ, but I want us to see now the exaltation of Christ. Jesus now is no longer the subject of this hymn. He is the object of this hymn, moving from verses 9 through 11. Look with me in verse 9. Because of this, therefore... Because of Christ's humility and obedience to God the Father, because of his pouring out of himself, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. 
The Greek word here for highly exalted means super exalted. Like above every other name, uh, the temptation of, our, of us finite creatures of flesh is to think that something has changed here. But Jesus is the unchanging one, the great I am. He's the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus here is recognized because of his obedience. He is recognized among all creation as being worthy and having the name that is above every other name. And theologians would say that is Lord, that Jesus is Lord and that is the name that is above every other name. But I would just simply say, yes, it is Jesus. The name that is above every other name. You've heard of him in scripture as referred to as Lord. You've heard him referred to as the Alpha and the Omega, the anointed one, the author of eternal salvation, the author and finisher of our faith. You've heard of him as the anchor and the advocate, and the almighty, and the ancient of days, you've heard him referred to as the bright and the morning star, the beloved, the counselor, the desire of nations, the day star, the day spring, the door, the deliverer. You've heard him referred to as the fairest of 10,000s, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, the most mighty, the mighty God, the most holy, the redeemer, the stronghold, the son of God, the son of man, the savior, the treasure, the teacher, wonderful, we call him Jesus, the exalted one. Because of his obedience, we have this example set before us. If someone can leave such a high estate and serve such a lowly people, then what is it for us, such lowly people, to to? Lower ourselves just a fraction of a spot to humble ourselves before other people. God has highly exalted Jesus. And the Bible continues here so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, perhaps you're here today and you say, you know, Josh, I cannot serve Jesus. I will not serve Jesus, and I will never call him God, and I will never call him Lord. I want you to know the Scripture makes it abundantly clear, and its track record on prophesying the future has been flawless and perfect. There is coming a day when every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. And don't you see his worthiness of it now? As you see all that he had forfeited so that we might be forgiven of our sins. As you see all that he gave up, he took upon himself our sin so that we might put upon ourselves or he might put upon us his righteousness. Can't you see how good and wonderful he is? It's not about how good you are or how good you can be. He's already accomplished that for you. Is there anyone more worthy to save? But I want you to know here, as we look at this passage, the, the inclination that I get as I read this, one day at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That will be a fearful time. You either bow before him now and reap eternal life with him. You either bow before him now, bend the knee now and confess him as Lord and experience eternal life and be a newness of life. You either bow the knee now or you'll bow it later. And if you bow it later, 
The Bible says that it's appointed for man once to die and then comes the judgment. You're given this day, this opportunity for salvation. Now the idea here is that it's a fearful time. One day, all of the greatest enemies of Christ, proud, arrogant, evil, when they come to stand against him, one day, their knees are going to buckle. And it'll be a time of great fear. Even John, the disciple who laid his head back upon the chest of Jesus at that last supper, when he sees him in the book of Revelation, the Bible says he fell at his feet as though dead. It'll be a time of great fear when every knee shall bow. It'll be a time of great reverence. But I believe the most painful thing of it all will be, will be that they see Jesus and they will recognize exactly, not as not hatefully that he is Lord, but they'll say, he is Lord. And it's too late. He was worthy for me to give my life to him. He forfeited everything for me, and I refused. And so my encouragement to us today is bow the knee today. And perhaps you're here today. You're a follower of Jesus. You followed him for decades. You know the old stories, but you've, you've ceased to be amazed at it all. I want you to think today and meditate on the Jesus who left heaven's throne and humbled himself to save you and me. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.